I love the conversations that so many of our hosts have had on their shows. Steve and JJ on Trailer Rewind, Ray and Ocean on Silver Linings, even Tommy's short-lived No, No, Wait, Hear Me Out. And so many films they've discussed started out as a book, a play, or even a TV series. Well, now you can support our whole family of podcasts by using our new Originals page to buy the original source material used to inspire films covered on our shows. Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these fantastic conversations. It's a wonderful way to support the show. Producing these podcasts week after week require a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, try using our originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. It's your one-stop shop for Amazon and Apple links where you can buy the book, play, video game, movie, etc. upon which the movie is based. Original material for trailer rewind movies like If Beale Street Could Talk, The Goldfinch, Aniara, or The Two Faces of January, or Silver Linings movies like Repo Men, which was based on the repossession Mambo. Plus, by using those links to buy books, Amazon and Apple show us a little bit of love, which allows you to support our family of shows with minimal effort. Visit thenextreel.com slash originals. It's a fantastic way to support the show and find a great book to read. That's right. Head over to thenextreel.com slash originals to find your next read and get started today. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM. And it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content. And we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash Transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash Transistor. Start growing your podcast today. It's showtime, folks. Enjoy the show. And a fine Saturday matinee to everybody. Uh, don't I get to uh, do Andy, that? You, I, I feel no, left you don't. out. You ask me why. Ask me Is why. Is it because I haven't ask been on why. for so long you've <laughs> taken over? It's because you're in host three. You're in the host three. Oh, wow. I yeah. feel... That's the equivalent... That's the equivalent to baby in the corner. I feel like a doormat. You are baby. Host three is a corner. <laughs> Not only that, but you broke in last week. You did. You cheated last week. You broke in. Now you're back to try to 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 play some hijinks. When I don't get some to shenanigans be on the show, I have show. to find my way in whenever I can and however I can. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Ray Delancey, hi. How are How you? Do you, you do? are. You are always welcome. Oh wow! <laughs> you don't need to break. You don't need to break down any doors. You're such a sweetie. It is the uh, Saturday matinee, our weekly show where the next real team gets together to talk about news, reviews, new trailers, our weekly list challenges, and so much more. I'm Pete Wright. We got some news. 
And that news, welcome to Quibi Corner, everybody. <laughs> uh? I, I really love that this is one that just doesn't go away. <laughs> I can't, let, I can't let go of it. I, love, I, let let I really love the, the first sentence of the article also that we're looking at. It says, Quibi's death yeah. spiral continues. <laughs> Poor Quibi. I, I, as much as I'd like to say you heard it here first, pretty much you heard it everywhere all the time yeah. since day one. <laughs> because we guess none of you are using Quibi either. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. We knew almost immediately that my favorite one is and I, you know, I'm not whistling past the graveyard graveyard here. It's this is a sad thing. There are people who did some, you know, the work of their careers. Uh, it, you know, there are some people I imagine who did some great work here uh, on Quibi projects. Can you imagine how much Guff Katzenberg is taking for Quibi? It really, really like it's he can't. He can't sell it. He can't piece it off. The thing that I that gets me is actually down in the, uh, we'll say third paragraph. Quibi has burned more than a billion dollars, but has only between four hundred thousand and five hundred thousand subscribers to show for it. A number that includes T-Mobile subscribers who get their subscription for free. Oh, Quibi! Oh, what's oh. strange is it says the company can't offer a catalog of content. It doesn't have exclusive rights to no. any of its content after a two-year period. <laughs> what? Who, who makes that deal? Katzenberg, you've been in the industry for decades, man. <laughs> who makes that deal? That's kind of like making a Star Wars trilogy without a plan. Oh. Ray. Ray. <laughs> he had to Ray. go there. You know what? You know what I do think <laughs> I, is uh, is... What we what we're getting out of Quibi, which I I do think is something that is of value, is just the fact that they spent a lot of time and energy into kind of evolving that technique in the app itself that allows you to rotate the phone and the video content changes with it. So even though Quibi mm -hmm. may fall apart, at least there's going to be that interesting technology. I mean, who knows sure. how somebody some other people are going to end up using it? But I do find that to be really interesting. A uh, little tool that they came up with. Yeah. Isn't that little tool called Turnstile, Andy? Isn't that what that tool is called? You know, that tool which a well-funded <laughs> company called Echo claims Quibi outright stole. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah, they're being they're currently being sued for use of that amazing technology. You can't. I mean, make this stuff up. That is fantastic. <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. Congratulations to Turnstile. Another element of Quibi's uh, downfall there. Schadenfreude is what it is. All I know is that uh, the the good thing that could come out of this, there were shows that I was actually interested in seeing. That Hitchhiker show I thought was going to be cool. Mm. Um, there's always that show where they, they put food in an air cannon and shoot it at people's faces. <laughs> that I thought I'd like to see one time. And and so hearing that there is a chance that Quibi's going to repackage, recut everything, get rid of the of the you know blocks, and just relicense it to some other company like uh, Apple or or um, HBO or whatever. Just license the shows, get the media out there, even put your Quibi logo on it. Just don't make me watch it on my phone in five minute bursts. That, that's I I think if there's a chance to save a little bit of grace, it's put good content out there with the Quibi name on it, and then go your way. That's what I feel. Bird. 
uh, saddest about is like some potentially interesting sounding content that just never was able to find any viewers because of that. And all the performers and the people behind them, like I, I think that there's a lot of interesting stuff from what I was seeing. And that at least gives me hope that, you know, it still may find a home out there for other people to watch. Who knows? Yep. Uh, we do have some other. Uh, ah, It's just all not good for distribution. But uh, we do know that Disney is once again pulling the plug on theatrical release for Soul and they're dropping it Christmas Day on Disney Plus. What do we think of this? Well, I mean, Disney said that they're starting to move away from. Uh, because of everything with the the uh, COVID pandemic, uh, they're really mm -hmm. kind of starting to focus on streaming as their main source of of entertainment and getting stuff out there. So I think they're really pushing right. on that. And the fact that they're releasing it, unlike Mulan, where they're not charging for it, I think says a lot that this is a big major Pixar release and it's going straight to streaming and it doesn't cost any extra. You just need the Disney Plus membership. And you know what? I think everybody that I've talked to anyway seems excited about this movie. So I think that's going to put a lot of butts in the Disney Plus seats. I think just new subscriptions alone due to this release, they'll get a lot of money. I find this really interesting that it's it's the first Pixar score with music by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait. What? That is fantastic. Really great. I mean, it's a stunning cast. Everything about it sounds very interesting. So I'm really, really curious about it and glad I'll just be able to watch it come Christmas Day. You mean Fincher didn't direct this? <laughs> That may be that next. <laughs> Mank, Mank should have been a Pixar joint. That would have been amazing. The first black and white Pixar film. That'd right, be, that'd right. Be wild. That would be so great. Uh, no, I'm I'm excited about it too. I think it's going to be. I, I think this is. Um, it, it you know foretells a future that is sad, especially if you are a shareholder in, you know, AMC. Mm. Yep. Mm. Uh -oh. Yep. Yeah, their stocks are plummeting after uh, they said, hey, folks, we might just be out of cash by the time the year ends. Sorry about all your Christmas Day releases. Everybody. <laughs> yeah, no, no popcorn for you. Did I tell I went I did go to see Tenet in the theater, uh, which was did you? very thin. The, the, there were very few people in there. And let me just tell you, the AMC employees were like very grateful. Thank you so much for coming in today. So, yeah. Did they give you a big hug and a kiss? It almost, if it wasn't COVID, I'm sure they would have. <laughs> no, no, your grace is unwarranted. Please stop Just give me free me. popcorn. I'll take that. <laughs> so is AMC the biggest chain theater closest to you? AMC and Harkins are, are the two theaters in my town, but AMC is the, the one that's uh, close to me. It's like a 10-minute drive. What about you, Pete? We're uh, my closest is uh, Regal, and um, so it's Regal Cinemark. Yeah, I, I guess uh, there, I think there is an AMC. Who who does AMC own? Uh, do they own somebody I that think I they would only be close market to? themselves as AMC? I think they're just right, AMC. Yeah. yeah, so I are there is there are AMC theaters near me, but or not near enough. Right, my sure. nearest theater is it's Regal Cinemark. Yeah, and Regal also is another Century. one that just was it like a couple weeks ago said they were also yeah. having some issues. I mean, it's of course, yeah. I mean, 
everybody who does anything that involves large groups of people. I mean, I'm sure that if we were paying attention to concert venues and stuff, live theaters, et cetera, that, right. I mean, everyone is going to be having these same stories, right? There, Yeah, there's yeah. a clock on all of these that is ticking louder and louder every week. And yeah, I think we're we're running out of time. Uh, it'll be interesting to see the fire sale that happens on the backside of this, though. You know, COVID comes back in two years. Who's around to reshuffle the entire distribution industry? We know this is this is going to be temporary, right? I mean, in some fashion, this will be temporary, even if we come back sitting in in hive style plexiglass booths. At some point, people will gather again. And uh, who's going to be at the top of the charts? If especially if this deregulation goes through, if suddenly, um, you know, I don't I don't believe it's passed, but I, I or maybe maybe it was it's done. It was uh, a, I think it was an executive order here that now um, after many years, production houses can own theaters again. Right. Yeah. right. This right here uh, portends, I think, a major reshuffling of of what the theater experience is going to look like. So. But I think that it, I mean they're not going to do anything about it uh like those those production companies until one they can start yeah. making movies again and cuz right. I I saw another report that like you know 50 plus percent of productions in in California have uh, have not started up again. It's it's just a huge number. But until until that's really going, until the theaters aren't are really kind of going, and I mean that's going to just drive the AMC's and Regals uh, even further into the ground. That's when those companies will swoop in and they'll buy start buying up some of the yeah. theaters. So mm. yeah, right. Well, don't you think I, there's a fair amount of content that they've just they're kind of sitting on that they are trying to wait for a theatrical release. I mean, I mean, obviously you have the big ones like Wonder Woman or um, Black Widow or the Batman, but surely there's more than just some of those big ones. Don't, wouldn't you think they're sitting on a few? Oh, absolutely. And I, I think some of those, they might be uh, starting to say, you know, should we release these, uh, find a streaming platform where we can put these out? Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we start seeing some some smaller films, um, but uh, I think for them, they just have to figure out how are we going to get the money back that we spent on it? So, like, what's the line going to be? Is it a $20 million film? Is it a $7 million film, if those even get made anymore? Like, where's the line for a Warner Brothers or or a Paramount to kind of say, okay, well, we'll make a deal with Amazon and, you know, get some money out of it while it plays there. Or I just, I'm very curious. Well, I'm curious. And I, I absolutely, I, is there ever going to be a chance for these, for these big ticket movies to, to make their money, money back on, uh, on a reasonable time scale, right? I, or is this just like a 24 month, 36 month glut where every movie that is made and released is going to be, is, is going to take it in the shorts and they mm. just know we're going to yeah. come out of this massive glut and there will be new new leadership new people new talent making new movies and we just have to get these things out the door i think at some point that you know there is a there's going to be some sort of a trigger mechanism where all these movies are going to get released uh, something will have to happen yeah you know it, we just heard from our school system that you know we've already been pushed out to february for reopening um and now we just heard in a meeting uh, that they're, they're saying, yes, there are no promising signs for opening our school, high school this year. Wow. No promising signs. That's not like, if the schools don't open, 
how can the theaters open? Right, right. How right. can the concert venues open? For sure. Yeah. Well, like that's somebody, right. I think somebody actually at, uh, at Warner Brothers behind Tenet, they said, you know, we're not looking at making all of the box office back right away. We're looking at the long, the long game with this. It's not about how many weeks to earn the money back. It's, I mean, at this point, it's how many months? Because with so few things coming out there, I mean, Tenet, this could be going back to like the days of the 70s where this movie could be playing in theaters for, for a, a year. year or more. And it's just a slow trickle. I mean, Tenet so far domestically has earned 48.3 million, internationally 273.9 million. And so, I mean, it's it's made its budget back. Uh, who knows about the marketing budget and all that, but because uh, the mm -hmm. budget for the project was $224 yeah. million. Um, But, you know, if it's still in theaters At this, point, this they time just next want year, people to see it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But if it's still in this in theaters this time th next year, yeah, I mean, it may be, um, who knows, it may have doubled that. Well, it's it, so they're still going to run the long race to a billion dollars is what they want. And if it takes them three years to do that in theaters, they'll do it. Bad Boys for Life is still up above it. So the Bad oh Boys for my. Life clock is still ticking. With, uh, uh, I don't know, with Hocus Pocus back in theaters, maybe uh, <laughs> maybe that's got a chance. <laughs> uh, the 800 is one we haven't talked much about because it's uh, hard to see. Uh, with 331,000 domestic, but the 800 is a massive, massive film, $441 million. Um, and it is absolutely at the top mm. of the charts for worldwide 2020. Hmm. We should see it. Go to China. Yeah, have to go over there to see it. Yeah. Yep, yep. Well, it's it's always interesting to to be getting the uh, the um, reports, the budget reports <laughs> coming in with things like Hocus Pocus and Empire Strikes Back is having its 40th anniversary. That was that's playing. Um, right. The Goonies is playing in the theaters near me, and so it's it's very funny. And then, of course, what's that um, Russell Crowe uh, falling down oh, type of movie? Un Unhinged, Unbroken or Unhinged. something? Unhinged. 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 That's still playing. Yeah. You know, so there are certain things that I mean, they started when the theaters started. The New Mutants, like they're just in it for the long game. And so I am curious to see how long these films play in the theaters, and it will be. Uh, the, it's going to be a very interesting year of statistics with asterisks next to them. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm curious how they'll run into existing contracts with release windows, right? Because at some point, uh, theatrical release, doesn't that trigger some sort of a home release countdown that says you're going to be in the theaters for a certain amount of time and then you need to be like, we're going to, we get access to streaming. And I don't think so. It's, it's usually like how much time afterward, like once it stops, how much time before, oh, okay. All right. All uh, right. before we can start putting it out there. Okay. Um, unless there That'd was a deal beforehand for like a day and date yeah. release, something like that. Yeah. But it does. That is an interesting point. And I wonder if if um, the different distributors are talking to the theaters about this, because there is a point the longer a film stays in theaters where there would be a, a, a shift in the who gets the profits from the ticket sales. You know, it starts out those first few weeks or month or so very much like 90 percent of the ticket sales goes back to the distributor and then mm -hmm. as time wears on it turns into like eventually like close to a 50 50 split between the theater and the distributor and i wonder how that's going to end up working um in 
you know, for the distributors or if they're going to push for new deals with these theaters. Mm-hmm. And if the theaters can, will do anything because they're all struggling. It's interesting because if you remember last year with Avengers Endgame, they really wanted to push it up to beat the record held by Avatar. Right. That they kept it in theaters longer. But but I think by the time it finally beat the record, it was already released on video, home video. So, yeah, right. Um, what, do we have I, I feel like I feel like we need a clock, like a countdown clock on our website for when when we think everything will be back to what we consider theaters open population. Is it 2023? 10 more years. Ten more years, Ray. <laughs> there is a good the chance humans will pessimist. be living on Mars, and the theaters here will still not be open. It'll be like that one shot in I Am Legend, wherever he's walking down the street and he's all by himself, and there's that big billboard for Batman v Superman. It'll be that, <laughs> but like it'll be like Andy Nelson's the last man on Earth, and there's right. the billboard for Tenet or something. <laughs> I'll be watching it over and over, just talking, saying all the lines in the theaters. Like uh, <laughs> that's right, <laughs> Charles Heston watching. What was it Woodstock that he was watching in Omega Man? Oh right, you could you could be uh, actually doing all the lines in Spider Man Three. I could <laughs> with with all the spiders men. What do you think of this? Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield apparently signed uh, to join Tom Holland in Spider Man Three. Are we excited about this news? I don't believe it. No, it's you know. It, <laughs> It's exciting news, but until it's actual news, then I just I look at it as rumor. I'm not excited about it because I feel like Marvel has gotten to a point where all of their movies have just been building and building and building with so many characters. You know, you had your you started out in 2008 with Iron Man and you had your individual character movies. Then you had the Avengers and then you had Age of Ultron, which had even more Avengers. And then you had Civil War, which had all of these characters plus more fighting each other. And then you had Infinity War and Endgame, which was pretty much every conceivable Marvel character. And now it's like they need to keep going with these events you know what i mean and i i feel like they should just calm down for a couple of movies and take a breath you're in the settle down marvel right (laughs) plus i mean this kind of steals a little bit of thunder from the animated film into the spider-verse i think you know let that be its own thing yeah i don't know and i mean i know they're making another one of those which is great uh i I don't I I feel like it's a weird stunt, uh, even though I know and I know you're probably better equipped to to talk about this than I am. But I know that the extended sort of Spider-Man Spider-Verse is uh, has, you know, obviously we saw it in the animated uh, Spider-Verse film, all of the different Spider-Men and um, and all of the different villains. It seems like such a weird stunt to bring back Jamie Foxx. Yeah. Was not um, one of the more memorable villains in the spider-man not in a good way universe anyway. right we yeah, are right uh and yeah. so it just seems strange to me that we're just piling on um after we've moved on i i again i i don't mind the idea of them doing crossovers like this i do think that there are things like um bringing jamie fox back that's that's terrible that's a terrible idea <laughs> but you know in 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 regard to jamie fox though we only know that he is back we don't know in what capacity for all we know it could be a 10 second cameo he did say he's not blue anymore 
and he got in trouble for that. That was that was a big deal. Apparently, if they do wind up doing this, I hope that it leads to focusing on other spider people like Spider Gwen or Miles Morales, people that you don't see too often. Lay off some of the the white guys for a change yeah. in the live action universe. Right. Right. Yeah, I I think so too, and I think frankly the uh, having opportunity to do a Spider Gwen story would be fantastic. I think there is yeah. such room for that. Um and, and a Miles Morales story. I mean, I just I've really enjoyed the comics that I've read of Miles Morales and and uh I, I think there's a lot of room. I haven't I, I is the game out? The game the long the wish for it's the it's one? the PS is it is it a PS five I think thing? it comes out with PS five. Okay. Uh yeah. The, but um, they've been working hard on on like beefing up the Miles Miles Morales material in that game. I think there's a lot of interest in that character. Well, plus, if you remember, this was such a little point, but if you remember back to Spider-Man Homecoming, they introduced his uncle, played by Donald Glover, well, at least who we we assume he meant Donald Glover's character was like a thief. And he mentions that he has a nephew and he doesn't want him to grow up the way he grew up or whatever his line is. And that points to Miles Morales, Mm -hmm. because it's just like Miles Morales' uncle. Yeah, that'd be very cool. All right, that's the news. Let's do some trailers. All right, Andy, you were first. You got your trailer in first. What you, you're a big shot. I was really surprised I was first, considering I only did it a few hours right. before uh, <laughs> before all of this began. Uh, I, I'm picking a, a trailer that came out about a week ago, but it hadn't been talked about yet. And when I heard about it, I'm like, oh, wow, really stunning cast. I'm really mm. kind of curious about that. Uh, it's the 355 with uh, Jessica Chastain, uh, Diane Kruger. You've got uh, Sebastian Stan, Penelope Cruz, Lupita Nyong'o, um, uh, Fan Bingbing. It's like a really interesting cast of women who are... Uh, they're working with different agencies around the world who kind of go on, I guess I won't say rogue because it seems like it seems like uh, uh, um, Jessica Chastain's character is kind of getting approval to do it. Uh, but the, the her boss is saying, we can't sanction you to do this, but you can do it on your own sort of thing. And so she kind of goes off on this mission and, and ends up recruiting all these other women from agencies around the world to do kind of like go after these, uh, uh, to kind of perform this big mission. The old wars, Cold War, war on terror. We knew who we were fighting. But now the enemy is invisible. They can destabilize entire countries from simple reach of their keyboard. Officially, I can't put you on this. But if you were to go out on your own... I would need some help. I'm guessing this isn't a social call. I'm putting together a team. You're the best in the world at what you do. I thought this was done. I'll be back for dinner tomorrow. Hands! Put your gun down. Please. Five, four, three, two, one! Pull the trigger. Or you can listen. We all work for different intelligence agencies. American, British, German, Colombian, Chinese. But now we have a common enemy. And if we don't stop them, they'll start World War III. I don't 
don't know. I just found it really interesting to see. And I, I hadn't even heard of this film. And so I just got very excited watching all these women just kind of uh, kind of kicking butt and, and uh, fighting all this stuff and dealing with family family issues. Like there were so many things going on in this. So it really piqued my curiosity. Had either of you heard of this one? No, but it looks awesome. Yeah, right. I hadn't heard of it either. It's like it's it is uh, um, uh, amped up Charlie's Angels with more Jason Bourne. Yeah, well, it's, uh, it makes sense because it's produced by the right. people behind the Jason Bourne right. films. Um, but it definitely has that vibe. It feels more Jason Bourne, a lot less Charlie's Angels, which is good because I was not a fan of those films. <laughs> um, but this, like, especially with this cast, yeah. I mean, what an interesting cast oh, yeah. to bring together uh, to do this. So I can't wait to see this. I I hadn't even heard of it. And I was so whenever I was watching this trailer, I was genuinely getting excited. And I was like going up and down like this in my chair you know yeah <laughs> the thing to be concerned about it is simon kinberg is uh, behind it he is the i think he's the writer director um, probably writer producer director on it he generally is a producer and has produced quite a number of things that we like like some of the later x-men films like x-men first class mm. and days of future past um he you know, the martian deadpool all solid movies logan Murder on the Orient Express, uh, you know, uh, but then he went and, and did a turn as director once before this, and that was X-Men Dark Phoenix. <clears throat> so <laughs> does, does that bring concern to either of you that that was his one turn as a director? No, because <laughs> that movie was doomed before it started. Oh, OK. OK. I didn't see it. Pete, did you see that one? Yeah, I did. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I would, I, you know, I actually, I do what Ray said. It gives me actual solace, right? Because it is like, I know he was fighting such an uphill battle for that with that movie. And like, there's only so much, only so much you can do. Um, It was, it was a mess. And yet Mm. it's a five, eight, like people like it almost enough to make it watchable at a six on the IMDb uh, score. So almost, (laughs) almost, almost but not quite. Yeah. There were some fun effects and she was she just isn't I just I'm I am not entirely convinced. I think he was working with I I don't I don't think Sophie Turner can pull off the Dark Phoenix bit. Like even if you even if you believe in her as Jean Grey, I just don't think she could she can handle Phoenix. uh, Not like not like Famke can. Right. Well, here's the question. Since he's working with um, Jessica Chastain in both films. What did you think of her in Dark Phoenix? And do you think that they'll work well together in this? Well, Jessica Chastain uh, is amazing. I like her all the time. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah, no, I think uh, I think she'll be fine. She'll be fine. So she's it's hard for her to really kind of stumble too much. I think she always delivers solid performances. And with this cast, it just, I mean, what an amazing cast of women to to bring into this. You've got me hooked with with Jessica and Lupita alone. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And then it just kept amping up. Like You just keep seeing more. It's like, wow. Okay. I'm in. Well, it looks like this is, uh, it just says expected January 15th, 2021. I'm not thrilled about the date. That makes me nervous. But in these COVID times, who knows what that means anymore? I don't know if January means what we think it means. Yeah, are those just holding dates at this point? Like, nobody cares. Yeah. Yeah. It just says expected. I, I, who knows? Yeah. Who knows? All right. I get to go next. 
You do. Yeah. Uh, this one, um, trailer dropped recently. Trailer 2 actually dropped recently. Uh, I I can't remember which trailer I posted for you guys to look at. The the one... It was the second. It was the second one. Uh, I like that trailer better. If you haven't seen the first trailer, you should probably go watch it. But the trailer I posted and that's in the show notes is the trailer that opens with a conversation with our, uh, our lead, uh, Carrie Mulligan, playing Cassandra Thomas, uh, talking to the director of or the dean of a medical school saying she wants to come back to this medical school. Uh, but um, and Connie Britton plays the dean and uh, you get the feel that you get you understand that there was some sort of sexual assault that happened years before and she had to drop out uh, and it went reported. It was reported to the dean, but the dean has no memory of it. And that sets us off on this story of this sort of sexual assault vigilante uh, that Carrie Mulligan plays this character that goes around pretending to be drunk and entraps men uh, as they attempt to assault her. And it is, uh, it looks pretty dark, but my goodness, it is a movie that contains some serious badassdom. My assistant tells me that you're interested in resuming med school. I left under unusual circumstances. You remember the accusations made against Alexander Monroe? I don't. He took a girl back to his room. You know, we get accusations like this all the time. So it's a he said, she said situation. What would you have me do? Ruin a young man's life? (laughs) Was it reported? Yes. Do you know who she spoke to? You. What'd you think of this? The cast, uh, if we can just talk a little bit about the cast, my goodness. Uh, Carrie mm-hmm. Mulligan, obviously. Bo Burnham, Laverne Cox, Clancy Brown, Jennifer Coolidge, Allison Brie. Love Allison Brie. Uh, Christopher Mintz-Plass plays a just a jerk. Uh, Molly Shannon's <laughs> in it. Angela Zhu, Sam Richardson, Connie Britton, Stephen Monroe, Casey Adams, Francesca Estevez, Timothy Goodwin. It's an amazing cast. Did you say Alfred Molina? Did yeah, you I didn't even get like, to Alfred Molina yet. He looks like he doesn't have a huge part, but he's certainly featured in the trailer. Yeah. Uh, so uh, it it looks uh, it, it looks great. What do you guys think? You know, I'm watching this trailer and I couldn't help but think, man, I, I feel like I've seen this before. I don't know if I read about it or if I saw a snippet or something somewhere, but I distinctly remember this storyline and something about Christopher Mintz Plass. But either way. This, like you said, I think the perfect word for this is badass. Well, and and the trailer, I I remember the trailer back in the before times. Yeah. uh, The original trailer. And I just like, wow, okay, that's like a no holds barred, fascinating move to make a film like this. And it it certainly has the vibe of kind of the revenge of kind of thrillers that, you know, I'm thinking of like I spit on your grave and. Sure. Um, you know, last house on the left, things like that, where people take revenge on people who have done things to them or someone they they know. And so I it's certainly not a, a new 
thing to tackle, but the way that they're doing it and the way that they're approaching it with Carrie Mulligan looks really interesting and intriguing. And I, I, I don't know, it's, it's, it's thrilling to see, and I am very curious about the direction they're going to take with it. Um, I don't know anything about the director, Emerald Fennell. Are you familiar with her? No, I watched a couple of interviews with her and she, you know, talks a little bit about how she made this movie. She's, um, you know, she was an actress, I I, I think, first. Uh, this will be her. She did a short. Uh, this is her directorial debut. Uh, she's in The Crown. She's in she was a writer on Killing Eve. Um, so she's she has a ton of actual great credits. She was actually in The Danish Girl. We just didn't didn't mention her. Yeah, right, um, right. So, you know, I, I think she's got some great credits and I think she's uh, uh, it, it's really interesting to hear her talk about this movie and how long she's been writing it, um, which is, you know, since probably 2014, I think she said 14 or 15. She's been working on this uh, on this movie and uh, and story. And uh, so I'm I'm eager to see what comes of it. Just watching the trailer. It does not feel like a directorial debut. It feels no. Like very assured yes. hand behind yeah. it. Yes. It is a great trailer in in that regard, right? I mean, it is a competent trailer. Um, it is. It doesn't say anything in the trailer about in theaters. It is non-committal, only committing to <laughs> I think a very interesting date for a drop in the U.S. and Canada, at least here. That is December twenty fifth, twenty twenty. What to watch an soul date. or that. Yeah, that's, the, that's those are your choices. <laughs> or both. So One for the kids, one the, for me. The, right. <laughs> the kids will love this one. Right. Souls, this, souls this for kids. me. Exactly right. <laughs> All right. What, what do you got, Ray? Okay, so I don't do documentaries very often. But when I do. <laughs> but when, yeah. Uh, but I saw this and I was... Just super duper excited. Uh, this is for a documentary called Boris Karloff, The Man Behind the Monster. He was the consummate character actor, a character actor who became a star. I was transformed by an actor and by a moment in a film. So there is not a single movie I've ever done that is not under the shadow that this man casts. This will be magnificent where he kind of backs in to the scene and turns around slowly in the lights, and there's that face. You can't imagine a better entrance. I had a religious conversion. I saw my Messiah. You can make Frankenstein a gazillion times. Everybody's always going to compare it to Boris's version. Ah! He stands for the whole of horror, and his image is on absolutely everything. You don't see Robert De Niro lunch buckets as a Frankenstein monster. It's always Boris Karloff. You can show that image to almost anyone in the world. What's this? Frankenstein! Uh, it is from Voltage Films Limited. Uh, the director is Thomas Hamilton. Uh, it looks like this is the first film he's directed, but he's been involved in a handful of documentaries before. Looks like he's written three different documentaries about actor Leslie Howard, hmm. uh, who ha had a part in Gone with the Wind. But uh, this, I think, is a documentary that's very much needed. And I'm not just saying that because I have a deep, 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 deep love for Boris Karloff and that generation of horror slash monster movies. Um, Boris Karloff 
was such a nuanced actor in his day and most famously known for Frankenstein. I feel like in these newer generations, he often gets overlooked because those monsters, uh, generally speaking, they're treated like cartoons. You know, people forget that they were once real horror icons. They were the Jason Voorhees, the Freddy Krueger of their day. And I think that this really shows not just what a nuanced actor Boris Karloff was, but also how influential he was to filmmakers from then till now, like Guillermo del Toro, Christopher Plummer, John Landis, uh, Peter Bogdanovich, Joe Dante, just to name a few, all of which, by the way, uh, are interviewed in this documentary. Uh, what did you guys think? I love Boris Karloff. I find him to be uh, just really fun to watch. We've talked about him uh, at least once on the show. Um, uh, targets, right? Targets, yeah. I, I can't remember if there have been anything else, but I feel like that may may be the only time. I just, I do find him to be a really interesting a uh, really interesting actor, somebody um, that I enjoy watching. So uh, I'm thrilled that this is coming. I, this was a, <clears throat> something that was Kickstarter. Um, they had put a Kickstarter together to get it going. Mm. And, um, I, I guess they're about at that point where they're done then, huh? Right. Uh, Post-production is done. Um, no definite date as to when it's going to be released. I could only find early 2021 but regardless, I am very much looking forward to it. It seems right up your alley. I, I just the trailer starts. I'm like, oh, of course, Ray picked this trailer. Of course, <laughs> Ray picked this trailer. Uh, in terms of the trailer, it it's a little long for me at it is five minutes. Long, yeah. uh, it I I started I'm getting sorry. into the movie and I felt like like you guys are teasing me now. So I I need to tease just to tease so I don't feel teased. <laughs> like I was ready to like go in for the long haul. So if, if five minutes, uh, it, it felt like one of the nice things about these productions, you know, these Kickstarter productions is generally they are once they release, they're pretty easy to see. Right. It, they'll sure, be yeah. released pay on demand on Vimeo or something like that. They're, they'll be easy to, to catch up on. So um, this is one we'll keep our eye on and uh, post a link. Yay. All right, Andy. It's time. And I didn't even know we were going to do this. I didn't even think it was. You know whose idea was? It was Ray's. Ray's yeah. idea that we should do some cosmic re-ranking, flick chart re-ranking. Do it. <laughs> is it cosmic now? It's cosmic. It's like Cosmic Bowl. So here we go. This is, this is it. That means Ray is playing the memorial role of Steve Sarmento. I will try to do it justice. Oh, I, hope you're, I hope you're up to it, man. If we tie on something, then you can split the, uh, split the vote for us. And uh, I think we're doing 10, so just kind of keep track of it. And when we hit 10, that'll be all we do. We'll see if 2001 pops up. <laughs> oh, come on. Under the cherry moon. Come on. That is <laughs> First all up, I care about. <laughs> First up, The Godfather, which is number one on our list, or High Noon. The Godfather. You got to say The Godfather. <laughs> oh, for sure. Network. Or foul play oh, network. Come on, network. <laughs> These are going to be easy if they stay like this. Metropolis. Here we go. Metropolis or Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. Hmm. Ah. Do you go a stalwart in filmmaking or uh, just a really great Stal movie? Stalwart in rom-com. Yeah. I'll say Metropolis. I'll say Nick and Nora. 
<laughs> have you seen both of these, Ray? I have seen Metropolis. I have not seen Nick and Nora oh, yet. Oh, Ray. all right. Our first one. <laughs> we have to go. All right, I figured go. this would happen. You have to go to the mat. Are you ready? Right, let me warm up. Let me warm up. <laughs> Come on. Paper, scissors, rock. Here we go. Got it all? All right. Here mm-hmm. we go. One, mm-hmm. two, two, three. three. Scissors. Oh, Nick and Nora takes it. <sighs> well, it was. Uh, that's apparently how it was. Nick and Nora held steady in spot 330 <laughs> on our chart. There you go. <laughs> next up, Force Majeure or Friday After Next. <laughs> the Christmas comedy. That's pretty easy. <laughs> yeah, Force Majeure. It's Force Majeure. That's surprising. Really? Oh, is it? Have you seen? No, oh, you're being sarcastic. I'm kidding. I don't know, Ray. Wait, 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 whoa, 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 whoa! Oh. All right, Force Majeure held steady in spot two o three. Next up, we have Time Crimes or Miller's Crossing. Oh, this is one tough. of one of the um, less talked about Coen Brothers films. But certainly an interesting film. But it's hard for me to uh, to beat Time Crimes. I got to go Time Crimes. Yeah, I'm Time Crimes on this too. Have you seen that one yet, Ray? No, but it's on my list uh, for November. Uh, I'm no. all I'm all horror movies right now. So gotcha. Well, it's a great one. So I look forward to hearing what you think. So good. It is. Next up, the verdict from 1982 or the Adventures of Robin Hood, 1938. I gotta say uh, the verdict. The verdict, yeah. I, I went into a little bit of a stroke. <laughs> that that should have been easier than the look on my face would have well, indicated. The, that allowed it quite a jump for the verdict from three hundred two to one fifty. Oh, wow! Nice. That's, That's interesting. Good. Yeah, very interesting. Next up, Creed two or Caddyshack. Oh, it's there's no uh, question in my mind. <laughs> I know the fact that you're deliberating. I know Caddyshack has its fans. I'm just not a big lover I, of it. It's Creed Two, 100 percent for me. I am one of those fans, and the part that struggles is that I know it's Creed Two. I know it is, but it's still <laughs> it just it breaks my heart. It's Creed Two, but it's okay. Agreed. What about construction? I own three construction companies. I know you don't spend a lot of time at any of them. Sorry. <laughs> Next up, the Prestige or Le Vie en Rose. Oh, the prestige. The prestige. Indeed. Held steady in spot 197. Next up, the secret in their eyes or die hard with a vengeance. Number three. <laughs> oh, that's an easy one. Secret in their eyes. Yeah, it's secret in their eyes. Ricardo Darin. Have you seen that one yet, Ray? No. Oh, you need to see it. It's so good. So good, Ray. You would love those movies, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's held steady in spot 73 on our chart. As it should. That's right. And here comes number 10. Number 10, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom or The Bank Job, a fantastic period bank heist movie. Uh, I still got to go Temple of Doom. It's got a special place in my heart. Om Nom Shibai, Andy. That's right. Om Nom Shibai. That's right. Was that your... Was that, that was my vote. Your, that was oh, like the perfect okay. one. You just got to take that. You're supposed to know. We've been doing this together so long. <laughs> you know, I thought you were just you're quoting just the movie. You're throwing out other random quotes. I'm you not did quoting that the bank job. And then I'm you not voted the other the way. Job. <laughs> Om Nam Shivai, Andy. That means yes. Ray, have you seen The Bank Job? I've not seen The Bank Job. Oh, you got to check it out. It's, it's a brilliant thriller. 
All right, Temple of Doom takes it and held steady in spot 141. So that's right. where we're stopping. We made it through 10 more, and I think only one of them changed spots. So We didn't get either 2001 or Under the Cherry Moon, but that's, that's okay. We live we lived to rank another day. <laughs> <laughs> so true. So true. <laughs> that brings us to the list. This is a list of movies that uh, are uh, loosely somewhat related to the movie that we're talking about this week. And the movie that we're talking about this week is Parasite, uh, which is a fantastic Bong Joon-ho film. Unless mm-hmm. you don't like it, in which case it's not fantastic for you, which we learned <laughs> there are people who do not think this movie is fantastic, which makes me sad. Uh, we think it's fantastic, but the, the list that, that uh, folks shows uh, were outstanding uh, movie houses, standout movie. Films that stand out, or houses that stand out. Yeah, and so because the house is amazing. This is a bespoke house for the movie. It does not really exist, but it sure does make you want to live there. Uh, and so uh, we bring a list of movies with other standout movie houses. And, Andy, you are first. I get to go first. I was uh, I was torn kind of going through, because um, there's quite a number of houses out there. And, um, you know, we haven't talked about um, many of the films and other lists that uh, that I was looking at. So I had quite a lot of options open to me. I ended up for my first pick going with a film that really it it kind of haunted me. It was it was just brilliant. The cast was top notch. The performances were great. The direction was great. Very cold, very uh, very kind of dark film. And the house very much reflects the coldness of of our uh, leading lady, played by Amy Adams. It is Tom Ford's film Nocturnal Animals. And uh, Amy Adams is an art dealer and she lives in this fantastic mansion, but it's like super cold. It's all like cement and and stone color. Everything about it is very expensive, but it just it it feels like she's just living in the trappings of this life. But just it's just it's ice, ice cold beautiful beautiful house that worked so well in the film and i have not let that it's just not left my memory it's such an amazing stunning place that i learned as i was researching this that they uh they leased it from the owner who is a real estate executive who actually owns it in malibu they paid him a million dollars a month to film in his house i'd like to i'd like to throw that offer out to a company coming to film (laughs) in my my house anytime (laughs) that's right right here come on over you know what? I'll do it for COVID 50 bucks. Bring it. <laughs> <laughs> Outstanding. Outstanding pick. Good first pick. I, uh, I'm i going to start close to home uh, with my first pick, and hmm. uh, I'm going to start with something in Portland. In fact, right up the road from me, wow. you will find a fantastic uh, modern home called the Hoke House. H-O-K-E, the Hoke House. Uh, it has it, it sits right on the edge of Forest Park uh, here in, in Portland proper. It is just lovely. And uh, it, you can actually get to it. You can drive by it and you'll say, hey, that house looks so familiar. It's got this giant sort of cantilevered overhang uh, that it's a lot of glass. It, it should be on stilts, but it's kind of magic that there's just such a big prominent part of the house that's hanging uh, as if it should be stilted, but it's just out there. And you might say to yourself, gosh, 
I wonder where the Cullens are. Do they still live there after the Twilight Saga? Oak House. (laughs) I saw that house come up as I was searching and I said, well, surely no one will pick that one. I was wrong. (laughs) What what are you talking about? It is a standout house. I don't care what you think of the movie. The house is amazing. And it's my neighbor. Of course I'm going to pick that house. That's true, of course. Is that the guy mowing? Right. (laughs) (laughs) And I will say, Twilight has never been picked. So. Mm. Really? At least there's, what, four four of those that people can pick from if they need to return to the wall. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Ray, what do you got? All right, gents, we're going to take a little hop across the pond. I want to show you a nice little home here for some people, not for everybody. Maybe you'll like it. It's in the Cumberland area. It is a familial estate, very tall house. Uh, The only problem is sometimes it gets a little drafty. And did I also mention that it's slowly sinking into a mine of red clay? I am talking about the house Allerdale Hall from Guillermo del Toro's 2015 film Crimson Peak. Oh, (laughs) this is is your list all. Is it all great horror houses? Is that what I have in front of me? No, you don't. Actually, that's the only one. (gasps) What? Now I'm curious. (laughs) (laughs) But I I realize that, you know, you might not look at this house and immediately think, oh, I'd love to live there. But I think it has a little bit of mystique to it. I think it's a really fascinating house and definitely one that stands out as far as uh, the house is seen in great works of cinema. Not that this is necessarily necessarily a great work of cinema but it pu- it pulls its weight it's del toro he, it's got his fan its fans i was a huge lover of the film but it certainly was interesting lots of red <laughs> all right andy what do you got for my second pick i'm jumping into a uh, a director who i don't talk about on the show very often because you know he's a, you know one of those directors you just don't talk about that often these days especially these days when everybody's coming out against him and saying why did i choose to work on that film with him it oh is, my course, god it's a woody allen it house is a woody Andy? Allen house i know <laughs> wait a minute wait a minute is it the sleeper house it is the sleeper house oh! is this a steal <laughs> it is not but it was it was actually on my list i have now decided not to pick Woody Allen films because of you and Steve. So, well, I figured you would put, pick it because it was Woody Allen. But <laughs> honestly, like I picked this house. It's actually named the Sculptured House, even though most people call it the Sleeper House. It's in Colorado, which is why I picked it because I very distinctly remember passing this house quite a lot on the drives yeah. that uh, I would take across the state because nice. you can see it right there. And it's yeah. it's a really kind of cool looking curved house that's up on, I can't remember which uh, mountain it's on. Um, but it's uh, Genesee Mountain. There you go. It was built in 1963 by architect Charles Deaton, and it has its own little elevator inside and everything, and, which they used for the um, what was the machine called in that movie? The the little sex machine. <laughs> that's enough. Remember? Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> that all we need to know. <laughs> you know, it was it was a it was a, a quirky little movie. Um, I remember actually enjoying it when I was younger. I haven't seen it probably since high school. It's been forever since I've seen Sleeper, but I thought it was kind of uh, kind of a fun little uh, sci-fi jaunt. I guess we'll call it for Woody Allen to take <laughs> back in 1973. So that is my second pick. It is Sleeper. Ah. Uh. 
That's a good pick. Well done. Orgasmatron. I... Orgasmatron. <laughs> yeah. It was the Orgasmatron. Okay. <laughs> yeah, perfect. My mother, my mother made me watch that movie. It, she and she had not oh. remembered the Orgasmatron, and so I. That was one of those parental bonding experiences. The Orgasma, what? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh. My uh, second pick. It's a bit of a mic drop uh, because I'm about to take a lot of movies out of the running. <laughs> But you already did Twilight, so yeah, I already took four, uh, and so I'm going to go ahead and do it, and I'm going to I I do it unapologetically because the house is fantastic, and so are the movies uh, that have used it. It is called the Ennis House. Do you know uh-huh. the Ennis House? Is it a steal? No. It could it could very well be. Let it's me go ahead and tell you a little bit about the Ennis House. It's in Los Angeles. It's off of Griffith Park. It is a Frank Lloyd Wright house. Now, what has been shot there? How about House on Haunted Hill? How about The Day of the Locust or Blade Runner, the original, or Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the TV show, or Karate Kid 3 or Black Rain or The Glimmer Man or The Replacement Killers or Rush Hour or The 13th Floor? Love The 13th Floor. In fact, the Ennis House is so famous, they actually recreated the Ennis House on a soundstage for movies like Predator 2, uh, episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation, The Rocketeer, Mulholland Drive, Twin Peaks, Westworld, the new uh, uh, HBO telling of it. And it was even represented in an episode of South Park. The Ennis House. I don't even know what movie I'm going to pick. It's been in so many movies. I think I'm going to say uh, The 13th Floor. I don't think that's ever been picked. And I love that movie so, so much. So 13th Floor, The Ennis House, Frank Lloyd Wright, Griffith Park, Los Angeles. Uh, let's go. <laughs> I like how cocky you are, convinced that you're stealing from somebody just because you picked that house. I love that. No, well, I am cocky uh, about that. I'm disappointed that it didn't play out because that would have been fun, uh, especially if I just got all your steals. <laughs> I had House on Haunted Hill as a backup, but I really didn't plan on using it. So. Okay. Well, it was it was a try. It was worth a shot. All right. What's your number two? Okay, so if you didn't like the house, gents, from my first pick, maybe you'll like this one better. Let's uh, come back to the States and go to New York City's Upper West Side and look at this four-story brownstone that I have here. It's you actually are selling been... it to me right now. I just want you to know. <laughs> uh, it's been covered on a movie done by you two on the main show. And uh, it's, like I said, it's a four-story brownstone. Now, it was previously owned by a reclusive millionaire who thought that someone was going to come in and just steal his $3 million in bearer bonds, so he put in a panic room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> panic room. That house, I, when I first saw Panic Room, I saw this house, and I would. I, all I could think throughout the movie was, I would love to get lost in this house. Totally. Although, it's pretty much just straight up and down. What it needed is a fireman's pole. <laughs> that would have been great. <laughs> That would be really hard to slow down. By the time you're getting right. to the fourth floor, you'd like burn your hands. I don't know. I, I would rethink that fireman's pole. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Uh, now that I think about it, maybe this wasn't a bad choice because I'm a fat man and my greatest mortal enemy is stairs. There's an elevator. Yeah, there was an elevator. Yeah, but they're not always reliable. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. Uh, Andy, final pick. Final pick. I am going with a house that um, it's a it's a beautiful and an interestingly structured house that was built specifically for the film. It doesn't exist in real life. And it was a film that really <laughs> ended up being quite divisive with people. A lot of people uh, loved it. I'm in I'm in the camp of really enjoying it and seeing a lot of interesting stuff with it. A lot of people hated it. Um, and I think that's kind of... <laughs> the nature of this director it's darren Arno- darren aronofsky oh, for and it is his three-story victorian house in <laughs> mother that is as much a part of the the symbology of the film uh, along with the characters uh, and the way that the whole film uh kind of evolves and ends and uh is reborn and everything it's a it's a fascinating film and I don't want to spoil it, uh, but I found it to be really interesting. There's one scene that is intense and very difficult to take. I will warn people if you haven't seen it. But on the whole, I found it to be a really, really interesting film. So that is my final pick, Darren Aronofsky's Mother. Mother! You got to scream it. <laughs> yeah, Mother! Yeah. Uh, that's a great pick. Uh, what yeah. I have to say about that. It's a, it's a tough one. I I loved it. I, yeah, I know no, that's on. It's that's one of those that I love. It's like I don't think I would want to watch it uh, too many times. It's a tough one to yeah. watch. Yeah, no, I get that. Uh, my final pick. You know, originally I had this motif where I wanted to do just houses on stilts made of glass. That was my whole thing, and my backup houses now are all stilts and glass. But then I changed themes, and I went with the blank house, the Hoke house, the Ennis house. So by that formula, you might be able to predict my final house is one. It's a heart stringing house. It pulls tight at my heartstrings. Uh, the, the film stars Sandra Bullock and Keanu Reeves, and they're in this movie together, but they're separated by two whole years. I'm talking about The Lake House. Uh, which is an amazing house. It's like the perfect Airbnb. I would not want to take care of it myself, but I'd love to spend a couple (laughs) of days there. And I would check the mail often. If that's important to the current owners, I would always check the mail and I would respond promptly. (laughs) Uh, The Lake House is one of those movies that I remember fondly just because, I don't know, I was probably, uh, I guess it came, I, I just was just, you know, in a very love, lo- it was love in your sappy years mood. It was my sappy years. Yeah. And so I just uh, I, I I'm fine laying on the sap for the lake house. <laughs> the house is amazing. And the story is so sweet. It was and a sad. very sweet story. I, I enjoyed yeah. that one. Um, yeah, it's it's been quite a while. I only saw it the one time, but I remember it. And I do remember that house. It was definitely a standout house and that yeah. little mailbox out front and uh, everything about it. Just it it just it fit perfectly for a uh, kind of a romantic story like that. Totally. Totally. It would also mm-hmm. make for a great horror house. <laughs> I'm just it saying. would make for a great <laughs> horror house. And, and there's this whole scene where he's standing on top of the house with his with the uh, talking about the architecture and the design of it. And and everything he says describes exactly that, like why this would be a perfect horror house. Well, you know, the house is all about control and isolation. And you're in the house and you can see everything, but everyone can also see you. And, ugh, haunting. Keanu Reeves. Mm. (laughs) Devilish. That would be one of those fun movies. You know how people take 
old or take just any any movie and they recut a trailer for it or they just yeah, yeah and they basically retheme it based on the content that I feel you could very easily recut that in some way to make it some like haunted thriller. It'd be pretty, I, pretty fun I to would do. be, I would be surprised if that hasn't already been done somehow, but I'm not finding it. Yeah. Uh, I feel man, like the movie would have great. to be more popular for people to jump on that. Probably great yeah. house. That's it. Ray, what's your final pick? All right, gentlemen, if uh, this, the city is not your forte, then let us adjourn and, go to middle America and to a little town I like to call Vulcanvania. (laughs) Uh, Pete's face says it all. This is from a movie from 1991 called Nothing But Trouble, directed and written by Dan Aykroyd. Nobody likes this movie at all. This movie is terrible, Ray. I watched it because (laughs) of you. There is well, this. I like the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I would say it's a guilty pleasure, but I don't believe in guilty pleasures. So, you know, but this house is uh, completely surrounded by <laughs> this huge junkyard. And it's a little bit reminiscent of the Adams family house. Uh And it is the house of the local Justice of the Peace, Judge Alvin Valkenheiser. And this house is filled with booby traps and interesting rooms filled with rubber doggy toys and all kinds of stuff. There's also a trap door that leads to uh, a roller coaster called Mr. Bone Stripper that strips away all the meat from your victim's bodies. So, you know... I wouldn't mind having a house like this. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a, a house that strips the you know, skin <laughs> off of your victim's bodies. Okay, yeah, why, each, why not? To each his own, I guess. <laughs> this is one of those movies that you started talking about in the community, and I, I know I had seen it when it when it first came out. Like I know that it was uh, it was present of mine. Uh, it was like uh, senior year high school, and and. And so I, I totally remember seeing, I remembered nothing about it. And then you started talking about it. (laughs) Andy and I started talking about it and I couldn't remember which of the characters was a crossdresser. And so I had to go back and watch it. And Ray, I regret it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm the only person alive who likes this movie. Man, when the giant babies, when Aykroyd comes out (laughs) in the giant, in the diapers, it's, that's when, that's when things go south. Uh, nah, I, I like his it. name it's is so Bobo. Yeah, Bobo. Yeah, Aykroyd's in a lot of characters in this thing. It's uh, wow. It's rough. It's it's rough. But you're right. It's a great house. It's a great character house. That is, <laughs> but absolutely does it beat true. the house from Twilight? That's the I real can't. Question. I just can't believe that now, having never been picked, Ray has broken the seal on nothing but trouble in our list. <laughs> Of all of all times, well, right. yeah, I I didn't see that when it came out because it didn't look good, and Ray didn't manage to convince <laughs> me when he was pushing for it. So I still have yet to see it, and I I count that as a win. Say <laughs> la vie. Uh, maybe one day, maybe one day I'll watch yeah. it, and then Pete and I can 
<laughs> double up on you. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> or you and I can double up on Pete. Who knows? Maybe I'll like it. Do you have any good backups? Just, you know, for the... I had backups. Do you want to hear my backups? Sure, I'd like to hear your backup. The Money Pit. I was very, yep. very... Like, that was... I, I feel like I should have done that because I'm such a Tom Hanks nut. And yep. that house is fantastic. The Money Pit. Beetlejuice. I love I what they do to that house. I had Beetlejuice. The Royal yep. Tenenbaums. Yeah, that's good. Psycho. I couldn't believe that Psycho didn't pop up when I searched for it. I, I had Psycho, but I was convinced you guys were going to use it. I was convinced you were going to use it. <laughs> I was convinced you were going to use it. I knew this was going to be a house of horrors for Ray. That's totally what I thought, too. I just figured I'll use, uh, I would shoot for <laughs> ones that were less likely. Sure. Uh, the others, Pete. Yeah. You're going to be talking about that or looking at that soon. And, of course, the Winchester, which seemed totally apropos to this this list because yeah. that from Shaun just, of the Dead. No, the Winchester, like the actual movie called Winchester oh, oh, okay. about, I'm, I'm about an idiot. Lady Winchester or whatever, who builds who kept building the house through her that whole life house, right. because she was convinced she needed to do so to keep ghosts out or whatever. And it's um, it's a funky, funky house. So. I had, I did have Beetlejuice uh, on the list. I also had Ferris Bueller's Day Off, The Garage, uh, <laughs> and just The Garage. But that was when I was back on the Houses on Stilts. And mm. finally, uh, Nick's family's uh, jungle house in Singapore. Also, lots of glass on stilts in Crazy Rich Asians, which is oh, full wow. of bananas, awesome houses. So, um, but that one really stood out. Right. Ray, do you have anything else? I had um, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, the Weasley's house. Totally. Oh, oh yeah. What a great right. house. That is a good um, one. Yeah. Tony Stark's house in Malibu. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I, um, I'll tell you, I talked about that one a lot. I didn't want to talk right. about it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, Bill Murray's mansion in Zombieland. Nice. Huh. And uh, the Adams family. Yeah. Oh, right. yeah. Was, yep, Another great house. I was, I, I actually, there was a point where I was going to do just John Hughes houses, but they all look exactly <laughs> the same. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Yeah. The Home Alone house was one that uh, that I was like, eh, I could do that one. But I was like, well, it's more the stuff that happens in the yeah. house than the Go house ahead. itself. It's National Lampoons. It's the Home Alone yeah. house. Right. It's like, the it's um, 16 Candles. Uh, 16 house. Candles. It's, yeah. uh, it's even the, uh, Animal House. <laughs> It's like, you know. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So. The only one that I searched for that came up, which I guess I would call this the the in honor of list, because it was the only one that had actually been discussed before was Body Double, because they film in that funky. That's another one. It's kind of a sleeper yeah. type of house. It's like this weird round pod house in right. kind of the, the Hollywood Hills. Uh, uh, this is a great list. And it uh, wraps up our Parasite outstanding homes in movies list but where pray tell andy do we go from here not only does it wrap up the list for parasite it's the last list from our foreign films nominated for best picture series and with that we are kicking off a new series and it is aquatic killers that's right. We are jumping into the water, jumping into the deep end, as it were, and we're going to be swimming with some very nasty creatures. So uh, we're going to be kicking it off with the 1977 film directed by Ovidio Asinaitis, Tentacles, with a big octopus wreaking havoc on a coastal town. That is our first mm. pick. Ray, have you seen Tentacles? I bought the rental. I have not watched it yet. 
I'm watching it tonight. Okay. Uh, okay. It features an octopus. It doesn't actually feature any tentacles. We learned this. There aren't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, things you learn. The science of the show. You know, I do like the idea. There are many stories. <laughs> yeah. I do like the idea of of kind of, I mean, the whole thing is caused by corporate greed, right? Yeah. You've got this corporate greed, which leads to an environmental disaster or a disaster of some sort. I like that idea as a list option. Corporate greed leading to a disaster. Oh, I, yeah. I think, think? That's a, I think that's a natural fit. Mm-hmm. Okay. Corporate greed. Leading to a, an environmental disaster or any disaster? I just say any disaster. I mean, it could be environmental, okay. but I, I just say broaden it a little bit. All right. I'll tell you the one for me that, that lights me up the most. This movie has, uh, by all rights, an amazing cast. John Huston is in this movie, and I feel like he <laughs> headlines the category that uh, I, I would love to see us expand on, which is great actors slumming it. Um, <laughs> that is my favorite choice on that list. All right. Uh, great actors slumming it makes the list. Now we need a third pick. We have corporate greed leading it to a disaster. Great actors slumming it. If we go like the killer POV, is that I feel like that's maybe too broad, but um, mm. I, that maybe not. I mean, you know, it it is a movie. I mean, it's about um you know, it's got an octopus in it. We could do octopus movies. We could do movies with boat races. Uh, we could do. There is a there is a boat race. There is a there One is. One could a... call it pivotal, but I don't know if you would. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's in there. Uh, there is a scene where our main character um, actually has an extended scene where he's talking through a tank wall to a pair of killer whales. And it's really loving. What is he, Spock? It's absurd. That's what least, it is. <laughs> that yeah. certainly feels. Yeah. So there like is a whole mind melt. talking to animals uh, angle. Um, we, I we have animal attacks on the list. I wonder though if that might be better served for some later movies in this series. Mm. Uh, there are better animal attacks yet to come. Yes, and that's one of those that we could certainly throw on the list until someone finally picks it. And we have six movies yeah. in this series. We can <laughs> reuse that one every time if we're running short. But I, I do like the killer POV angle. Okay. I, I think that's a fun one. It allows for a lot of fun horror films to pop up. Well, that's another mm. one that I think we could keep putting on the list until somebody picks it. Because I'm yes. now that I'm watching ahead in the series, I'm realizing that there's a whole killer POV that's off angle. And occasionally the killer animal where, oh, dear, he's no longer horizontal. And that completely changes how horrifying it is. Mm. Ooh. Very true. All right. Very true. All right. So we've got it. Corporate uh, greed leading to a disaster. Great actors slumming it. And killer POV. Talking Love about it. tentacles next week. Good stuff. Well, if you want to vote on next, le next week's list challenge, just head over to the Show Talk channel in the Next Real Discord community. You can lend your vote to the chaos that is list picking and movie sabotage each week. How do you access the Show Talk channel, you ask? All you have to do is head over to thenextreel.com slash Patreon, where you can become a supporter of the Next Real family of podcasts. Just by doing that and throwing some money toward the podcast each week, you can gain early access to some shows, live streams as we record, including this very episode, and uh, your own personal podcast feed with uh, uh, additional bonus episodes and stuff like that. So 
Good show, gents. Good list. Fun houses. Great time. Yeah. Well done. Have a fantastic week. Great to see you again, Andy. I wonder if you'll ever be back on the show. <laughs> I wonder. <laughs> Such a mystery. Ray? I feel like the spring yeah. bodes promising. Really? Let's just say that. Let's just, uh, let's just say that. Let's Andy, just tease I dare, that. I dare to hold out hope. I'm going to write a letter and put it in my magic mailbox. Uh, Ray, it is great to see you, my friend. You too. Fare thee well, gentlemen. Fare thee well. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for uh, downloading listening to the show. We'll catch you next week on the set, Matt. See ya. Bye. Andy, according to my friend, Internet, this is what Letterboxd is. Letterboxd is a global social network for grassroots film discussion and discovery. Use it as a diary to record and share your opinion about films as you watch them, or just keep track of films you've seen in the past. Showcase your favorites on your profile page. That is a lot. You bet it is. That's why I want you to tell our fair listeners just one thing you do with Letterboxd that has changed the way you watch movies. Let them have it. Okay, are you ready for this? So ready. I love lists. As of today, I have 246 lists in my account. I use them to track the movies I watch, organize them in all sorts of different ways. I track them by hand. I clone lists from other people. I use them to plan what I'm going to be watching. All sorts of things. I just, I love creating lists. It's a fantastic tool. Sexiest animated characters. Andy, what is this? We love Letterboxd. And if you're a movie lover, we are sure you will too. And when you upgrade from the free account, you will remove ads and support the great Kiwi team building this amazing service. Just use the discount code NEXTREEL or visit thenextreel.com slash letterboxd to get 20% off your pro or patron membership. And it works for renewals as well.